0: Good morning, everyone. Excellent. It's good to see you. I'm um, glad that you're here. We are uh, going to be jumping into a new series, and uh, I'm getting more and more excited about it all the time. This this week, in fact, uh, I spent all of Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at uh, on retreat with Moody Bible Institute for the fall retreat, and uh, just had a blast. I mean, being able to Kind of dive into each other's lives and to wrestle with the text and to ask a lot of questions. And anyhow, while I was there, um, and at the last talk, I shared with them a particular illustration. And some of you, I'm sure, here have heard it before. But I think it's appropriate for our understanding of Matthew. So I'll share it again. When I was um, like about five, six years ago, I was a part of a different ministry and. Um, while I was there, um, my children, it was after a particular Sunday morning, and um, my children came out of kids' community, or whatever it was called, and um, were on our way home, and typically they would, you know, sing the new song they learned, or they would teach us something that happened, or that this was the lesson, and this is what it was about, but they had this little thing that many of you have probably seen before, and that is where you kind of put your hands like this, and and you say, everyone try this, just put your hands like that, you don't have to say anything yet, I'll coach you into the first one, and then you can follow with me afterwards, you say, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the doors, see all the people, it's really cute, so let's try it again, ready, Um, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, see all the people, so my kids are doing that on the way home, they're teaching me, they're like, yeah, this is really cool, this is awesome, what do you think, and And I said, "Well, I think that it's completely wrong." And they look at me and they go, "What?" And I go, "Yeah, it's completely false. It's wrong. I mean, not to throw your Sunday school teacher under the bus or anything, but that's just bad theology. It's completely wrong." (laughs) And they're like, "Dad, well, it's just a kind of a kid's thing." And I go, "You got to learn it from the time you're little. So here we go. Let's redo it." And so I said to them, "It goes like this. Here's the building." Here's the steeple. Open the doors. See all the church. Right? You see the difference? Let's try it all together. Okay? Because maybe you're not seeing the difference. Here's the building. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. See all the church. Why? The church is the people. The church is you. The church is I. The church is us. Right? And so often... Within the church at large, we forget that. Now, I know you hear it quite a bit here, but be reminded of this truth that our God is a missionary God. Our God is desirous to redeem his people, to make a name for himself, to receive glory, to draw the nations to him. And he's recruited a bunch of the church to do it. That's us. Our calling is to be in the world as missionaries. Kevin alluded to it, talked to the idea that that, uh, the teachers have a unique mission field. But all of us, regardless of occupation, have a mission field. Those of you who moved from a different state to come to college here, regardless of what college you landed at, your new mission field is Spokane. I don't care where home is, you're here, you've touched down, it may feel like a foreign land to you, we call it home, here, this is your mission field. For all of us, it is. That's what the church is called to. Our Paul Stevens makes this statement. He says, the church does not have a mission, it is mission. Under both covenants, mission is the intended occupation and pre-occupation occupation of the whole people of God, not merely a few chosen representatives or designated missionaries. Put simply, you and I are missionaries. And that mission is undertaken in societal occupations, in individual and personal life, and through one's corporate life in the church. Why do I remind us of this? The reason is because this concept of us being the church, this concept of us being on mission, the concept of missionaries within a city is something that is central to the book of Matthew. It's central to this whole study we're going to do for a while, and it's the reason we're kind of entering into this series. So we're, we're entering in to a series um, on the book of Matthew, and the goal, just to get it up front so we all know, is to go through Matthew from now, early September, through at minimum June, so to spend a whole school year, kind of saturating ourselves with the teachings of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Now, some of you are going, how are we even going to study it that long? I mean, it's a decent-sized book, but it's not like it's you know War and Peace. Like, there's, but there's a lot to cover. Honestly, when you start to look at it, I mean, Matthew is a book that is jam-packed with amazing things. First of all, it speaks to who Jesus is. But it doesn't just speak to who Jesus is in relation to what He did, but it speaks to His very names. What I mean by that is you'll see often in the book that it describes Him as teacher, as Lord, as Master. It describes Him as the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of Abraham, the Son of David. It says that He is Emmanuel or God with us. I mean, there's this huge emphasis in the book on who is this character and person of Jesus. There's also amazing parables, miracles, healings. But also, this book contains some of the most profound teaching ever. Not just in the Bible, but ever. And things like the Sermon on the Mount, and that's just getting started with the teachings in this book. So first of all, our intention is to spend a good bit of time into it and kind of to allow what it's communicating to seep deep to, as my friend Patrick often says, to marinate in it, to let it just soak in to who we are. But not only that, um, it is our intention to not go through the book linearly. So we're not intending to go from the beginning to the end, start to finish, however you want to describe it. That's not the goal. And the reason is, based on a presupposition that I want to share with you during our time now to kind of intro the whole book. What's interesting to me in the scriptures is often biblical writers will create purpose statements in their letter or in their book. Now, a purpose statement is uh, intended to help the reader, help you and I, or their original audience, figure out what is it that they're explicitly trying to say. So, for example, in 1 John, I think it's chapter 5, near the end of the book, he says to all of his audience, I write these things to you so that you may believe. Okay? These things that he's written are chapters 1 through that point of chapter 5. So he's saying... What I told you about following Jesus, what I told you about what it means to know Jesus, all these things that I'm telling you, I write all of them to say at the end of the book, purpose statement, what you just heard is all about helping you to know whether or not you believe in Yahweh. Okay? It would be similar to me writing a letter to my wife, for example. And let's say, early part of the letter I say to her, I love your personality in the middle I'm saying I think you're fun and enjoy being with you later on man, the way that you serve our family and care for us and then later on like I'm describing all these things I get to the end of the letter and I say I write these things to you so that you will know that I love you that I I care for you deeply that there's this movement where the author or the writer whether it's a letter whether it's a business statement whatever it is we write and then we declare, here's the purpose. And I think my premise in studying Matthew is that the book of Matthew is completely set up that exact same way. And so to begin the book of Matthew today, we're going to go to the very end and hit the purpose statement and then work our way back, okay? So we're going to do it a little bit out of the ordinary. We're not going to go directly straight front to back, but hop around based on this idea, all right? Turn to your, in your Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at the purpose statement, and my goal is just to highlight a few things in this purpose statement that will drive us toward understanding what we're going to look at for the remainder of this year. Now in Matthew 28, it says this, Um, Jesus, just to give you a little background, uh, we've gone through Holy Week, Jesus has lived, He has come to the point where He has sacrificed His very life for you. We get to the part of the story now which is the only reason why we gather to worship and it's the fact that Jesus conquered death and is risen. So the resurrection is commented on. Following that, Jesus then gathers His disciples together, 11 of them at this point. And this is what He says to them. Verse 16, chapter 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, He ends his entire book with this purpose statement of Jesus. And the purpose statement carries the final message that all of this is about mission and discipleship. That everything that you've heard is about mission and discipleship. Mission and discipleship. Say it with me. Mission and discipleship. That is the point of the book. That is, he's trying to drive it home. This uh, summer, I had a privilege of uh, being in Africa with one of my good friends. His name is Julius. And Julius, uh, just a brilliant guy, great friend, he uh, and I were talking. And one of the things that we often talk about, uh, we both coach either church planters or do church consulting at some level, and uh, we often sit across from a different pastor or from some other church planter and we'll remind them and remind ourselves at the same time Make sure that you keep the main thing the main thing. That sometimes it is easy for us to lose focus and not make the main thing the main thing. And what what we are hearing here from Matthew is that the main thing is mission and discipleship. Julius will often say, and he uses this illustration or analogy with me a lot, um, so I'm completely just ripping it completely off of him right now. Um, He will say that most churches will either look like the web page of Yahoo or Google. Seems weird. But what he's saying is that almost every church is either a Yahoo church or a Google church. So let me show you really quick the web page of Yahoo. This is the first half of it from last night. That's the second half of it from last night. What do you notice about... And you can, like, toggle back and forth between this. What do you notice about this web page? Describe it to me. Busy, cluttered, advertisements. What else? Lots of information. I mean, it, it, stay there for a second. I mean, if you want, you can go mail, autos, dating, finance, flicker, games, health, horoscopes, jobs, missions. it keeps going. Whatever you want, we've got it. Whatever you need, oh, you need, you need access to that? We'll add it to the page. We'll figure it out. And so many churches kind of adopt the approach, oh, you want something more? Oh, sure, we'll add it. We'll add a new program. We'll figure out a new thing. We'll do something different, and you can have it up there. Here's Google's. Describe it to me. Someone I heard say simple. Simple clean, easy to use. Here's their message. This is what we do, and this is all we do. You want something else? Go somewhere else, because this is what we do. It's similar to what Matthew's saying. Because, see, the church has to be about mission and discipleship. You can't let anything else get in the way of the very thing you're called to do. And Matthew is saying, hey, listen. Listen, it is about those two things, period. End of story. And so he describes those two things, in my opinion, in this last little section. And I want to look at two principles related to this purpose statement for the whole book. All right? So look back in the text with me says this in uh, Matthew 28. We're looking at uh, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. We'll pause right there. All right. Now, Matthew highlights that, but he does it in a way where he gives us a bit of an English lesson or a Greek lesson. I know that a lot of you are into grammar. It's like the best part of English, right? And so I'll give you just a quick some questions about it. This is what he does in the text. Make disciples is the main verb. If you want to decide what is this verse saying, it is saying at its core make disciples. Now, outside of that, it has modifiers or participles that are designed to get you to do something, to understand something about this making disciples. And so There's the word go, baptizing, and teaching. Now, for those of you that know a little bit of Greek, here's one of the things that is true about this. He could put those participles anywhere he wants. He can put them before, he can put them after, he can can space two in the front, one in the back, he can do all three lumped together in the back, he can do kind of whatever he wants, because the point is, the main thing is the main thing in this text. Okay? So here's my question to you. In your opinion, why did he separate go from the other two participles? Why would he do that? Okay, because you have to go. Good. What else? Other thoughts? Take four or five ideas. Okay, they're already going. Good. Because it's the first thing you have to do. That Then in doing that, the others follow. Okay, good. Other thoughts? I mean, I think it's an important question. And the reason it's an important question is because he's purposeful in doing it. He specifically put it that way. And here's the premise why. And and each of you kind of touched on it a little bit. The premise why is this. The discipleship in Matthew is on the move. Discipleship in Matthew happens on the move. Here's what I mean by that. Discipleship is not static. Discipleship, listen carefully, does not happen in the building. Now some of you are going, well, that's why I thought it was here. So I'll say it again, the worst time for discipleship is right now, is another way of saying it. Now you're going, but I thought we we're, no, listen, we gather to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be reminded of truth, to worship together, to be understanding the gospel so that in our going, we make disciples so that in all the far reaches of where we are, we are making disciples. That we are teaching, we are baptizing, we are having communion, we are pouring into the lives of people in such a way that we are making disciples. See, the goal is not churching. The goal is not gathering. The goal is disciple-making, which we believe is most effective in group life, and finds an expression here that enables us to be effective in doing the very thing we're called to. So what Matthew is trying to to hammer home is, listen, discipleship is always on the move. Disciple-making is always on the move. We put it first so that you don't miss it. We say that in your moving, make disciples and do these other things. If you thought disciple-making or coming here was about your mission. As politely as I can say it, you're wrong. That's not. It's to be here so that we can make disciples. So Matthew makes another point here in this last little section. He says this in verse 20, in the part where I cut out. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Or another way of saying it is teaching them to obey. That commands have been given throughout the text, teaching them to obey. I think what Matthew is getting to here is this idea that our discipleship often falls short of helping people put action to their intention. That our discipleship, if we're to be honest with uh, the church at large, perhaps at times with our church, is this idea that... um, discipleship should carry out some action, that it just cannot be intention alone. I I have a friend who knows that I'm math challenged. I'm I'm not very good at it at all. Like sometimes, you know, I just look like an idiot when I'm doing math. And um, he goes, hey, Russ, I've got a little math problem for you. And he was kind of mocking me a little bit. And uh, he goes, okay, Russ, it's real simple. Here we go. Uh, five birds are on a wire, four decide to fly away, how many are left? Answer class? One, right? Wrong. And that's where math really screws me up. And he goes, no. It's simple. Someone said it. Five. Deciding to fly away does not mean you flew away. You know what? In the church, we have a lot of, of deciders. Oh, I have decided to follow Jesus. I was talking with a girl who decided six months ago, I've got to get in group. I realized that if I'm going to invest, I've got to be in group. Three months later, yeah, I decided again, I've got to be in group. She's in group now. And she had this conversation with me and said, you know what, for six months I've decided something. And now I actually flew off the wire and I'm in it. I'm doing it. The intention has hit the ground running. Discipleship has to, has to hit the ground in obedience. It has to. And so the question becomes, in what areas? So Matthew does a lot of teaching. He says, teach them to obey. And so there's an emphasis in Matthew on this idea of teaching. And just to wrap up, this is what Matthew does. He, he says, he teaches something, then follows it up with practice. Teaches something, follows it up with practice. Again, and again, and again. And he does it in five major areas. The first area that he does it is in ethics, He teaches the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does, and then he follows it up with this is the way you live it out, this is the way you practice it, this is how you implement this idea or this understanding of ethics. I mean, all of this teaching that I'm describing is not new. I mean, when I coach soccer, one of the things that I do is I go, this is how you do it, I show them, and then I go, now you practice it. All of you teachers out there, you go, this is what it's like, and then here's some homework. This is the way you practice it. Let's practice it in class, let's practice it at home. We do that on the job. This is the way you do your job. Let me remind you of it again, and then you live it out. So the first one is this ethics, that he's focused on the idea that we need to live a certain way in the kingdom. The second one is mission. And he teaches to the 12, and he describes what mission is, and then he goes, now do it. And here's how you do it. And he shows them, and they practice it. Now what's interesting in Matthew, the emphasis is local mission. Now, not to the exclusion, per se, of foreign mission, or mission translocal, but his emphasis is on local. little side note. I used to do a lot of youth ministry. In youth ministry, um, I would have, probably like every summer, 90 or so kids would catch my wife or I and go, "Hey, will you sponsor me to go like Mexico or Guatemala or Honduras or wherever they're going to go?" And I go, well, I always say, well, can I ask you a couple questions? Oh, yeah, sure. Thinking that maybe, uh, how much do you need? But that's not my first question. I I always would ask, what are you doing when you get to wherever it is you're going? Well, the goal is to share my faith. Excellent. How are you going to do that? Well, we're going to go to the park. We're going to hang out with people, establish a relationship, share the gospel. That's awesome. That's a great idea. Very good. I would, I'd be very interested in sponsoring you. I have one more question for you. How many people in the last six months have you shared the gospel with? And they look at me and they go, no, none. And I go, okay, great. Come back to me in six months, and I would be more than happy, after you've shared with me who you've shared the gospel with, to sponsor you to go share the gospel in a translocal way. Because if you can't share the gospel in a context in which you look like the people you're with, talk the same language, know the culture, have everything down that they have down, then how are you going to do it in a culture you can barely even understand? Mission always has to land here, Jerusalem, before it goes to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's a principle. And Matthew speaks into that principle and says it starts with local mission. Then The last three.